All right, West Side, Romans chapter 12. We'll be reading verses 3 through 8. Romans 12, 3 through 8. Listen to those Bible pages turn, man. When you get there, look up at me and say, Grace. All right. Follow along and have your eyes on the text this morning. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Well, Westside, we're glad that you're here as we just continue on in this sermon series entitled One and Many. And if it's your first time here, we would advise you to go to our website and you can catch up because we're pretty deep um, in this series right now. And basically, we take um, some time every time, sort of this time of the year, to look at who we are as a church, where we're going, what's next. And we've entitled that One and Many. And when the scriptures talk about the church, they uh, use the analogy, the body. And so what we've learned is, is that our salvation, yes, is personal, but it is not private. And that God, in his graces and in his good news, has not just saved you from something, but he saved you for something. And that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in us, and he gives us gifts to accomplish the work that he set before us, which is just phenomenal news when you think about it. And last week we learned sort of this idea that the church is a diversity of people that are a unity of people who have a variety of gifts that are equally valuable. And so we learned that the Spirit distributes uh, those gifts as according to His will and that there's a variety of them, but each of them serve a purpose and each of them are equally valuable. And, and the cool thing about Westside is we've got people from um, sort of different backgrounds. Maybe you did grow up in church in a certain stream of faith, and maybe you didn't grow up in church at all. And I get it. Some of the stuff we're talking about is kind of crazy, like spiritual gifts. Is that like an Avengers superhero power? Like what is all of this about? And so here's how we've defined spiritual gifts. We said a spiritual gift is the supernatural ability given by God to the people of God in order to accomplish the work of God for the glory of God. And so there's a lot of God in that. We think that's a pretty good definition, right? And so we understand that God gifts us to empower that. And and as we've looked last week, there's about 19 to 20 gifts that are mentioned throughout the Scriptures. Each week, we're, we're starting our text reading by reading one of those lists. But sort of to kind of be helpful, what we're doing is we're spending each week sort of breaking uh, a set of gifts down. And, and we've literally put these in, in boxes for you, okay? So, so last week, what we said was is that there are gifts that, that build up the church. 
And so we said that these are foundational. These are massively important. We said that the office of these gifts are no more. But we said that sort of the tertiary aspect, what theologians call, that there's an aspect of this gifting that is still alive in the church. And so we talked about like uh, prophets, shepherds, teachers, all of those things. We said that in a way, these are sort of ministry We need these gifts to start a church, if that makes any sense, right? Gifts that build up the church. The second set of gifts that we're going to learn about today are gifts that that lift up the church. So if these sort of start and are foundational, these sustain the church. These are active and and life-giving. And then next week, we are going to look at gifts that that power up the church. So if these are ministry gifts and these are motivational gifts, these are sort of like miraculous gifts, and this is a real controversial box. And so don't miss next week, right? Everybody gets offended on that week. That'll be great, right? And so this is what we're doing. We're sort of grouping these together to help you identify how, how God has gifted you. And, and this week, as we look at gifts that lift up the church, maybe this will be helpful. So, so I'm the youngest of four boys. I'm, I'm the baby of the family, and babies are the best. This is undisputed, right? And all the babies said, amen, right? Amen, absolutely. Be a little awkward lunch afterwards, okay? And so um, my eldest brother, John, who's almost like 15 years older than me, he's almost been like a superhero um, my whole life, but he's loved hunting. And so none of my other brothers really got into hunting, but, but John was an avid hunter. He's gone to Alaska, hunted caribou, like just awesome stuff. But when I was younger and we lived in Kennett, he would take me along hunting with him. And um, most of the time we would go bird hunting, so, sort of waterfowl and duck and geese and all of that. But by far, I love geese hunting more, more than any of it. I mean, like, we cooked uh, scrambled eggs in the blind, like, and bacon and stuff like that. Like, one time a set of birds came in, and I didn't shoot any birds because I was like, we just cooked bacon. This is incredible, right? But it was super adventurous and awesome. And I'll never forget my brother sort of teaching me about the birds and the process and all of that. And, and goose hunting was cool, man, because when, when you land one of those things and, and shoot them out of the sky, those things are like 10 pounds. They hit the ground like a dead body. It's, inc- it's awesome, right? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's Butler County. We can talk about that kind of stuff, okay? But I'll never forget him teaching, and I remember being there, and it was sort of the sun was rising, and you could hear them, you know, far, you know, uh-huh, uh-huh, you know, far off. I'll go hunt, and I'll call the birds in for you if you want me to, right? Okay? And then you, you see the V formation, I mean, this stuff is cool, man, seeing these guys fly and all of that. And I remember him teaching me about that, but I, I studied it a little bit more this week. And I'm not, if you're a hunter, I'm not telling you anything new, right? But the V formation, the Wright brothers who sort of perfected the airplane studied this because it's so incredible. So what the geese do, they fly in the V formation as they're migrating. But the lead goose in the, in the V formation actually rotates. It's not the same one all the time. And the geese are staggered in a certain way, which scientifically creates an airflow. The first goose sort of sets that, breaks the wind, and then listen, as that first goose breaks the wind and sets the airflow, the way that they're staggered, each goose literally lifts the other up by breaking the wind resistance. And if you think about the church as being one, you're one of many, the gifts that we're looking at today are a lot like that. 
They're, they're used for a certain purpose. And so the thesis today is this. The, the goal of spiritual gifts is to serve one another for God's glory and for our good. That's the point. That's why God has given us this, literally to break the resistance, to lift each other up. And when the world and everybody else around sees a community of people serving and loving one another that way, God gets the glory. That, listen, Westside, when a church is attractional, it's not about programs and coffee and this, that, and the other. The most attractional thing about a church is when the body is loving and serving one another. People want to be a part of that. Think about it in today's climate and the hostility and the defending and the lookout for yours and climb to the top and step on anybody that you have to. But then God's plan is in the middle of all of that to stick a group of people who have supernatural abilities, who are loving each other and who are serving each other. That in its essence is what attracts people. But there's something else that we've seen each week, and it's actually in verse 3. Look at your Bible. Look at verse 3. The Apostle Paul says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned to you. What we've said is this, so God is perfect, And anything that he gives is a reflection of himself and is perfect as well. James says, the father of lights giving perfect and good gifts. There's nothing wrong with the spiritual gifts at all. They're perfect. But the rub and the tension is, is that a perfect God is giving perfect gifts to imperfect people. And so every list that's given in the New Testament, there's a warning either before or after that. And really, the Bible uses this sort of language, the spirit and the flesh. The Bible would say that when you're walking in the spirit, that that you're literally in sync with, kind of like the band, you're in sync with God and his purposes and all of those things. But there's an aspect of us, right? Being a Christian doesn't mean that we're perfect. Being a Christian means that we're forgiven and we're progressing, And so the Bible would call that aspect of you that's really not yet fully submitted to God or that still desires the opposite. The Bible calls that the flesh. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Galatians. But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So one of the things that we're doing is we're not just looking at a gift and analyzing it and seeing what it looks like in the spirit, but we're also, to be helpful, is to see what does that look like when it's all about me. Because see, here's what's important, is the gift is not about you. One theologian put it this way that I read, we should not use the phrase, my spiritual gift, because it's not yours but rather it's been given to you by God. But it's also important to know how those gifts work with other gifts and other people. So what we're seeing is sometimes maybe, man, there's a reason why I always have tension with this person or this type of a person. And in reality, what you're seeing is the fleshly side of yourself not walking in the spirit. 
And, and today we're going to look at gifts that, that lift up the church. And so this is the list. Giving, encouragement, service, and helps lumped together. Mercy, administration, and leadership. But here's what I want you to be doing during the rest of the message is this. It's something that I really never let you do. The first thing is this. When I'm talking about something today and just something lights up in you or you say, man, somebody said that to me before, that I think that's my gift. I want you to be asking this question. Is this me? Is this me? And then I want you to engage it. Because the Apostle Paul says in verse 5, let us use them. Use them. So I want you to be asking, is that me? And if so, where can I engage this? How can I engage this? And then the second thing is something that I never let you do, right? Most of the time I always say, hey, the sermon today, don't be saying, well, Bill needs to listen to this sermon. Oh, man, I'm going to send this to Bill. I'm sorry if your name's Bill, by the way. I just used that, right? And so, oh, man. But today I want you to say, is this someone that I know? So is this me? Engage it. But is this someone that I know? Then encourage it. Speak life into that. Say, man, today I heard in the sermon this aspect, and I see this in your life, and I encourage you to serve and to look at this area of your life and to just really fully dive into that. So here's what we're going to do. The first thing, we're diving in gifts that lift up the church. The first thing is this, the gift of giving. The gift of giving, right? This is awesome. These people see everything that they have as a gift. They like, so these people are the best gift givers, birthday, Christmas, it's really thought through, all of that, super generous people. They freely use their time, talent, and treasures for the good of others. These people love seeing the fruit of their gift. So they love sowing into someone's life, giving something, seeing that gift come to fruition and maturity, seeing how it encouraged that person. Have you ever been to someone's house and they invited you over for dinner and there's like five people and there's a can of corn on the table? like three rolls, you're like, this is a problem, okay, right? That person does not have the gift of giving, okay? These people are super hospitable. They want you over at the house, all of those type of things. Did you know, right, that, that Jesus' ministry was funded by people like this? There's a little verse tucked away in the Gospel of Luke that mentions a group of women who follow Jesus. One of them was actually married to, to Herod, Jesus is sort of arch nemesis there in the Roman Empire. And it says that she supported and gave financially to Jesus' ministry. How incredible is that to think? And this is something that we need to understand. But primarily that, that ministry doesn't follow money. That's not the goal. But money does follow ministry. That's how it gets funded. It's through the gift of giving. And then think, in a, and think about the reflection of God's heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So when these people are freely giving, they are literally mirroring in the image of God the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. Tim Keller put it this way, that Jesus didn't tithe his blood. Right? Hello. (laughs) But he gave freely. And so these people mirror the gospel that way. But sometimes there's a struggle and a tension. Sometimes these people will struggle with controlling how the gift is used. So it's all, I'm going to give this, but I'm going to market this, and you better use it like this. I'm not going to give to that because I'm not going to do it, right? We see this, the tension in the New Testament. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? Uh Uh-oh, 
right? They were taking up an offering and they had sold some land and kept a little money off top. Everybody's always like, man, let's go back to the early church, man. Do the early church stuff. Oh, cool. Where God killed people from stealing from the offering. You want to go there, right? <laughs> you know? And so that, that, that's going to be a tension sometimes is, is controlling that. But also they sometimes only give what they want rather than what God commands, and, and the difficulty is, is, is God's always raising the bar. He's always challenging us. So for those of you who have this gift, who, who love people coming over to your house and, and your time and your calendar and your money and all of those things, you realize, man, this, this isn't mine. This is all God's. Be, be careful sometimes because the tension will always be, oh, I want to give to that rather than God is sort of stretching me and challenging me over here, the gift of giving. The second gift is this, the gift of encouragement, right? Encouragement. These people, right? How's it going today? It's a lovely day in the Lord, brother. Right? You know what I mean, right? I'll tell you what, there's somebody who I saw um, who, who embodied this. If, if you knew the late Jason Rose, man, a guy in our community, oh my goodness, Jason Rowe, like, if I saw him at Walmart, I would avoid him. I'm, I'm just be honest, true confessions, right? That guy was so happy and encouraged all the time that if I was having a bad day, I didn't want to be around him because it's all sunshiny over there, man, right? These people inspire other people. It is, it is encouragement. It is lifting up. It's, we can do this. It's, oh, come on, man, let's make this happen. It's incredible to see these people. These people are sensitive to other people's needs, but also this, they're very sensitive to discouragement. So, so if somebody's down and if somebody's hurting, these people, what makes it supernatural is most people would avoid that, right? How's it going today? Whoa. And then people are like, all right, not talking to that guy anymore, okay? The people with the gift of encouragement, they want to get closer. They want to engage in those things. People trust encouragers. You know Why? Because when you're down and you're out and you feel like you can't go anymore and somebody fills your cup up and they speak life into you, that's a safe environment. That's a safe environment. Listen, encouragers make great counselors. And I don't just mean like by profession or anything like that. I mean like one-on-one. I mean, you, you can set an appointment with someone who has the gift of encouragement and have lunch or have coffee and think, I'm going into this and I'm done. I'm done. This is my last conversation. I'm throwing in the towel. And you leave and you go, all right, I'm going to give this thing another go, right? Listen, if you have this gift, you need to be involved in our redemption group that meets on Monday nights. You need to be in a community group. You need to be leading a community group. The gift of encouragement is a gift to the church. There's a guy in the scriptures by the name of Barnabas, right? The encourager. I mean, this guy, after the early church, I mean, they're getting stoned, not the Willie Nelson kind, but like the persecuted kind, right? And beat down and in jail and all of that stuff. In jail, they're like, you know what we need to do right now? We need to sing a hymn to the Lord, brother. That's what we need to do, right? I mean, it's supernatural. It's incredible. And listen, in the age of cynicism and criticism, where everybody's got an opinion about this and they should have done it this way and all of that, these people shine bright. They shine bright. But oftentimes, these people struggle with avoiding needed conflict. Now, we learn all the time that conflict in and of itself is not negative. It's not bad, right? So you started working out and losing weight because one day you looked in the mirror and you had a conflict, right? Oh, my goodness, Christ. Conflict spurs us to make needed changes. But... 
If you're someone with the gift of encouragement, you might avoid that because it's going to seem a little bit draining to you. And you're going to sometimes struggle with offering worldly and emotional motivation rather than gospel motivation. Here's what I mean. Christian bookstores and everything are sprinkled with what I like to call self-help in disguise, okay? So it's, well, I know you didn't get the job, but when one door closes, God opens another. A newsflash, sometimes God closes the door and burns the house to the ground because that was a dumb idea. And you weren't supposed to go that way. And so in that moment, what you need to offer to them is, hey, listen, I know that was a poor decision and your heart wandered away from the truths of Scripture. But listen, praise be to God that he doesn't deal with us according to our sins, but he's so merciful and he's patient. So listen, don't ever go there again. Call that sin for what it was, and that sin's covered by the grace of Jesus. And pick your head up, and I'm going to be here with you in this journey. Do you see the difference in that? So if you have this gift, remember, this is not a hallmark card. But rather, this is gospel encouragement and gospel motivation. If you read the New Testament letters, the Apostle Paul, my goodness, man, this guy just spoke thunder of encouragement to people. So the gift of encouragement lifts up the church. The second gift, or the third gift, of service and help. So we're going to lump that together, right? This is awesome. These people love doing whatever needs to be done. It's like, hey, where are you good at? Well, what needs to be done? This does. Well, I'm good at that, right? I mean, they get energy. So um, in between services, all of this was a shamble and a wreck and all of that. And I walked up here. When I walked up here, I thought, I didn't put these in order. But guess what? Somebody with the gift of service and helps came by and put all this stuff in order or else the sermon would be a little longer today. You know what I mean? These people love doing whatever needs to be done. Listen, they're deeply motivated by their salvation, always. So if you ask, if you tell them, hey, man, the tables and chairs, those don't need to be put up. Go home. It's okay. Hey, listen, don't wear yourself out. Here's what these people will respond with you is what I found in being a pastor. I love doing this. Jesus Christ gave his life for me. I can put up some tables and chairs. Now, some people serve and help, but they do it begrudgingly, right? Hey, um, I was just wondering, could you get a few people and take care of this? Well, I guess. But I'm not coming back after it's done, right? Okay, right? We don't need you. You're a cancer, okay? All right? This is the supernatural ability that you get energy when that stuff is done. They set the example for other people, man. So when all is said and done, and especially in this society where it's get yours and you first and do all of that, these people are selflessly sacrificing the position to be first in order to serve other people. Just this week, me and Pastor Tyler were here at the church, and Don Van Kirk and Roy Winters were here, and they were, Don's here more than I am, and I'm the pastor. It's like unbelievable, right? So I'm work. I've got books laid out all on my desk and all of that, and Don comes in, knocks. He goes, hey, Pastor, um, you wouldn't happen to have a three-quarters wrench on you, would you? Uh, uh, yeah, Don, let me look through my books really quick and see. Oh, look, here, right. he's just serving, man. This guy is so in the zone. A couple weeks ago, we actually had a toilet that broke and there was water all in the floor. And so we're scrambling to get this done in between services. Some of you may have not even known that that happened. And Miss Angie Croy, like the, the, the counter's going down and me and Tyler were doing it. And she goes, hey, go. And she said this, hey, I can't sing. I can't preach or teach. I can't do a lot of stuff. I grab a mop. 
and I can do that. Man, that, that's the gift of service and helps. There's a tension there, though. Oftentimes, you're going to struggle with being codependent. Here's what I mean. Um, they didn't ask me to come serve and help today, and I did it last time, so they must hate the way that I serve and help. I, mean, I probably need to call them and send them a message and say, are you mad at me? Do I need to do anything? I can come up there later on tonight and get it right. Oh, my goodness, all right? Listen, here, here's why I say that. We've clarified that your spiritual gift's not your identity. Nope, uh-uh. We are not defined by those. That is idolatry, and that is against the Scriptures. Here's what your identity is. A sinner saved by grace. Forgiven, adopted, redeemed, chosen, loved. That's your identity. Spiritual gifts are not your identity, but they clarify your ministry. So when it comes to service and helps, you're going to struggle and think you are what you do. Um, I remember a famous pastor saying one time, he thought that he always had to get there first, that he always had to do this, burning the candle at both ends. I got to work 14-hour days. I got to get all this done. And he said, one day I realized at the rate in which I was doing God's work, I was killing God's work. Hey, newsflash, um, God created the universe not in seven days, in six. What did he do on the seventh? He rested. Some of us struggle with being busy for the sake of being busy. It's almost the default answer nowadays. How are things going? Oh, busy. Eugene Peterson says, a busy, worn-out Christian is an oxymoron, that we should learn to rest and Sabbath. Listen, you are a gift to the church. You give energy and do all of those things. But be weary whenever you are functioning in the flesh. The next gift is this, right? Mercy. Lord, have mercy, right? Man, the gift of mercy, very simply put, this. People with the gift of mercy, their heart breaks for what breaks God's heart. Plain and simple. You resonate and see to the core of a person's hurt, if it's physical, spiritual, or emotional. Listen, we're going to get into some stuff next week, talking about sort of some spiritual warfare, maybe some demonic activity. But for some of you who have a high, high mercy gift, oftentimes you're around people and something's disrupting and you don't know what it is and you're always having conversation. You are sensitive to the attack of the enemy on someone's life because they're hurting and, and oftentimes, you, you disarm people. You're safe. You know why? Most of the time, people with the gift of mercy love people who are hurting because you yourself have been deeply hurt. And so you say, a little girl or a little boy will never go through what I went through. And I will be there for them. And they will not be alone in this. And think about, remember, all of our gifts are coming from the life of Christ, Right? And what we see all the time in Scripture is Jesus looking on the crowds and having mercy and compassion on them. What I like to say is mercy is grace in motion. Grace motivates you. It does something, but mercy is that action. It's offering that to someone. And we make it a requirement here at Westside. If you're high in the gift of mercy, you can't be on the security team. No mercy, baby. All right, that was just a joke. Okay, in the flesh, right, here's, here's where your high struggle is going to be. You're going to struggle with your emotions being your guide rather than your gauge. Now, here's what I mean. Our emotions are important. God created, a, created us as emotional beings. God has emotions, right? He's patient. He's angry. He's loving. He's compassionate. All of those things. 
But our emotions do not guide us. It's very important for you to be aware of your emotions. Man, I've worked a 12-hour day. I've come home. This is a wreck. And now I'm going into this big meeting. And you need to be aware of those things. But they don't guide you. For the heart is desperately wicked and who can understand it? There's a way that seems right to man, but in the end leads to death. The second thing that you're going to struggle with is this. You will need to be careful of reliving past hurts through someone else's current experiences. Here's what I mean. Um, As a Christian, we use our past to relate, not to relive. You understand what I'm saying? Oftentimes, people sort of, um, it's, yeah, man, I did this, and oh, man, whoosh, you don't know about this, and well, my marriage was this, and then we went through this, and you're always going back. It's, it's, it's always going back to something all the time rather than using it to relate and then moving beyond it. And so when I was in student ministry, I found out oftentimes adults who want to help in student ministry actually probably were hurt or had something happen in their youth age. And so they want to literally almost live vicariously back through that. And then when you're supposed to sort of um, bring encouragement and offer love to a situation in your flesh, here's what you'll do. Somebody will come to you and say, man, our marriage is struggling so much right now. And you'll go, well, you should hear my marriage. Yeah, okay, you're not fun, okay, right? You need the encourager around you. Anyone in the room, please, right? Do you see how important all of these gifts are together? But listen to me. How beautiful is the gift of mercy when we understand that our God did not look down upon broken creation and go, I just can't do this anymore. I'm going to separate myself. No, he engaged. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And literally the gift of mercy in action is embodying somebody else's hurt and somebody else's pain. Because Jesus took on our hurt and our pain emotionally and physically and spiritually and all of those things. So for you with the gift of mercy, you're going to have to draw deeply from the gospel well of the motivation of the person of Christ. The gift of mercy that lifts up the church. The next one is this, and you guys have been writing down everything I'm saying. The gift of administration, right? All right, you guys love charts and graphs, and you're the reason why I have fill-in-the-blanks on Sundays. It's just solely because of you. And listen, God forbid I don't say one of the the fill-in-the-blanks because you drive home and the thing that consumes you was, what was point number three? I'm going to send him a text message this week. I have no idea. Sometimes it's so intense that I have to go back on my social media and go, hey, guys, I'm so sorry, but point number three was this, and you're like, I can sleep tonight. Oh, my goodness. Here's what's cool about this. The the etymology of this word comes from the rudder of a ship or someone who drives a ship. Now think about this. Whether it's the Titanic, whether it's a battle cruiser, no matter how powerful it is, no matter how luxurious it is, no matter what's going on with it, it still needs something to guide it. So your love of charts and graphs, you draw energy from all of those things. And, and, And succinctly put, You bring clarity to chaos. That's absolutely what you do. You're highly gifted at this. But listen, not just up front or within this, but also in the home. So you plan. And so on vacations, you have coupons. You got right. See, we got our whole meal because I got the whole coupon. You wear fanny packs. Let's just be honest, okay? Let's confess this today, man. Confession is good, right? Listen, you are a gift. And by the way, Jesus had the gift of administration. It's the very heart of God. There was chaos in the beginning, but God said, 
and then on the first day, and then on the second day, there's order. The Apostle Paul picks it up in the New Testament, and he says, hey, yo, Christians, your worship service should not look like a WWE smackdown because our God is not a God of chaos, but rather a God of order. And then remember when Jesus fed the 5,000, right, with the boys' lunchable? That was awesome when he did that, right? He had them sit down in groups of three. He organized, appointed the disciples. I mean, listen, when you look at the scriptures through the lens of these spiritual gifts, you see all of them being embodied in the person of Christ. Now, the fleshly side of this, sometimes you're going to be over-controlling and prone to anxiety, and here's why. If there is no control, you will assume it at the cost of your peace. Anxiety, we define it this way. Anxiety enters your world when you are at the center of your world. And yes, you are the rudder that guides the ship, and you are massively important, but you will struggle with this phrase, it all depends on me. And if this doesn't get done, who's going to do it? Just just for you to breathe a sigh of relief, um, did God ask your opinion about the solar system? Was he like, hey, you know, I know you're really good at balancing a checkbook. Where should I put the sun? No, he didn't. It's okay. It doesn't all depend upon you. There's going to be times where you're going to be passive rather than active, and here's why. You're going to be fearful of exchanges that involve emotions. Why? Because you can't control your emotions. So you're naturally going to retreat to something that you can control or be comfortable in. But there's going to be moments where you're going to have to step into situations where, yes, you can bring clarity to the chaos, but it doesn't need to be controlled in that moment. And you're going to struggle with being isolated. You are not like the encourager. The encourager needs to be around people all the time. If you stick an encourager with charts and grass and tell them to file something and come back in the room an hour later, they may be dead right on the floor. Just dead. Just, right? Just done, right? You're like charts and grass and no people? Sign me up. This is great, right? So you need to be careful with that. But listen, you are massively important when it comes to the life of the church. I mean, the church is not a business, and the church is not an organization. It's an organism, but it's something that needs to be guided, and you bring that help. The gift of administration lifts up the church. And then the last gift, and we'll stop after this, is the gift of leadership. Leadership. Did you know leadership's a gift? Did you know that self-help and leadership books are one of the top-selling books in the New York Times constantly, all the time? I mean, there's all types of things that talks about leadership. We're talking about gospel-centered leadership, scriptural leadership. Listen, people see you as a person that is trustworthy and willing to follow. Now, here's what I mean. So uh, oftentimes in my sermons, when I'm like, hey, turn to your neighbor and say this, leaders aren't going to do that. They're going to go, oh, you don't tell me what to do. I'm a leader, okay, right? You know what I'm saying? That's your personality. But when you see a situation that needs guiding, you just are like, I'll step into this. You're a problem solver. You love being able to do it. You take high risks. You're good on that. But you love a return on your investment. So if there's a situation that's going on and a problem that needs to be solved, you don't just find a solution. You find a solution that benefits the whole, not just you. The gift of leadership is massively... I mean, think about it. Jesus gave a number of invitations in the scriptures. And Jesus said this, Come, follow me. Here's something that's going to be important for you to understand as a leader. 
whether in your home, your workplace, or in the church. You are not a leader that's worthy of following until you yourself are following a leader, which is Jesus Christ. So in the fleshly side, you're going to struggle with being domineering, rude, and prideful. So sometimes it's either going to be your way or the highway, and you're going to come in on this, and if it doesn't happen, then conflicts. Okay, listen, leadership gone wrong is a dictatorship. You're going to lack in your relationships because you're going to view problems over people. And oftentimes you'll say things like, why don't people just get it? Common sense isn't so common. Am I preaching yet? Are you like, does he have a microphone in our house? Right? But listen, leadership always requires relationship. Rules without relationship always produce rebellion. Think about it. God gave the people of Israel the Ten Commandments after he saved them. After he established the relationship. And then God, being the greatest leader of all, said, there's no more really instruction like this. I'm going to embody this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, literally flesh and blood. And then he gives us his spirit. And it says to walk by and follow the spirit. So there's no lone rangers in these things. And this is for men and women, and it's insane that I even have to say that in 2018, right? I mean, I've said this multiple times. Westside wouldn't be, the doors wouldn't be open if it wasn't for godly women who stepped up to bat when passive men fell to the wayside. Many of your homes are led by women. And maybe sometimes the reason why it's so difficult and they seem so edgy is because you need to step up to the plate and there needs to be some more there. That's not even in my notes, right? I just feel like I'm flowing in this area. But listen to me. This is a gift to the church. And the goal for all of these things is is to lift up the body. The purpose and the goal of spiritual gifts is to serve one another for God's glory and for our good. So as the band leads us in a time of response, I want to close with this. And I say this often, and it's probably one of the best ways that I can describe these particular sets of gifts when it comes from ministry and motivational and then miraculous. Um, This is a picture of our oldest son, Roman, at his first birthday, right? Little smash cake and all that. He inherited the Jordan head, which is kind of like a curse, you know what I mean, right? (laughs) But... The cool thing, and, and there's another picture that we have of Courtney um, giving him like solid foods to try for the first time and foods everywhere. You, you know what you do as parents, right? But if you notice in the picture, Roman's wearing a bib, right? Because babies wear bibs. Because you serve babies. But if you lower the bib from the neck down to the waist, it becomes a towel or an apron of service. And in John chapter 13, we see Jesus taking off his outer garments the night he is to be betrayed. He's going to die in a few hours. It's going to be the most agonizing death a human being can bear. And the scriptures teach in John 13 that he takes off his outer garments, lays them aside, the scripture says. He grabs a towel and he ties it around his waist and he serves the disciples. Then he says this, what I've done for you you need to do to one another. 
offer. This is the gift. This is how they will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. And listen, Westside, this is the mark of spiritual maturity in your gifts. It's not all the miraculous and all this every single day. This is the mark when you take off that bib and you tie it around your waist. And here's what I'm saying. Some of you have a bib on and it's time to take it off. You've been here for years. There's always an excuse. It's always the work schedule, and it's always this. And listen, life's crazy, and I get it, and I understand. And I'm not preaching at you. I'm trying to motivate you to tell you this. You feel like there's a glass ceiling in your life because the blessing that God has in the midst of serving, you're not doing. And that's the glass ceiling for you. And today you take off the bib and you put on the apron and you say, my salvation is my motivation. And listen, do you know what Popper Bluff needs? Popper Bluff doesn't need all this. Look at the kids wing and all the music and all the, oh man, and it's the spirit filled and all, oh yeah, and all the, you know what Popper Bluff needs? It needs a group of people loving each other and serving each other for the glory of God and the good of the people. There's nothing like that. Take off the bib. Put on the apron. I don't know if that's you being a community group leader. I don't know if that's you being in the worship team. I don't know if you have the gift of mercy and encouragement and serving with baby, doing all of that. I don't know where it's at, but here's what I do know. You matter. You have an area of service that God's designed you for. And the moment you step into that area of service, you're going to go, this is where it all lines up. This is where somebody has a need. I have a gift and I need it. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and God, we just ask for those of us who need comfort, those of us who've been serving, man. There's people in this room who are so faithful. Oh God, encourage them. May we not give up and do weary of doing good, but let us outdo one another in love. God, I pray that you put a fresh wind in the sails of some people here God, for some of us who are still wearing a bib, there was a moment, there was a time when we were infants and we needed nourishment and we need someone to serve us. But today, through the proclamation of your word and through the power of your spirit, it's time to remove the bib and to put on the apron. And it's no more, hey, just whatever you need, let me know. Or, hey, man, you always know I'm here. But rather, it's actively in motion, stepping in and doing what needs to be done. And God, I believe in that moment, the best is yet to come. Holy Spirit, comfort those who need comforting. Encourage us and move us beyond where we are today. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand where you're at and come forward to the table and partake in the elements as you feel led today?